sometime over this past week, you've met somebody who has identified their lives by their pain, by their mistakes, by their failures, by their sin, by their guilt. You know somebody that's dealing with and living with and being consumed by something in their past. And it's driving them. It's defeating them. It's dogging them, chasing after them. And they can't seem to shake it. Although they may be people who say they're Christians and they've been to the altar a thousand times, it's the devil keeps playing the guilt trip with them. And they're worn out. It makes them sick physically. It makes them ache emotionally. It drives them crazy mentally. Because guilt is something that we can never seem to get away from. No matter how long ago it was, it seems to be there. A few years ago, a research group did a study in the city of Chicago, and they placed a man on a corner of a busy pedestrian area, and he held a huge sign up, and it said, guilty. And as people walked by, he would have the sign and point at the sign and say, guilty, and point at people and guilty, guilty, guilty. And all around the crowd, they had people doing research. What did you think when you saw that? The response was not what they expected. They thought that the average re response would be, that guy's a nut. He needs to be locked up. The number one response was, how did he know? How did he know? How did he know I was guilty? Because guilt is that thing that the devil uses to suck the very life out of us. Webster defines it this way. He says it is the act or state of having done a wrong or committed an offense, culpability, legal, or ethical. There's theological guilt. We know we are guilty because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We know that we are guilty of sin because we are sinners. But then there's subjective guilt. That awareness that lingers, that we've blown it, that we've done something wrong, that we've broken a rule, that we've broken a law, we've broken somebody's heart, and most of the time that is a general feeling of guilt and not a specific response to something that we specifically did. It's just a general feeling, I'm guilty. Clyde Nairmores defines this kind of guilt as a complex cognitive emotional reality we experience over the disparity between who we are or how we act and who or how we think we ought to be. This reaction may involve self-punishment, self-rejection, and a sense of shame, disesteem, or inferiority. What Nairmore is saying there is that's where you just start beating yourself up. You just start beating yourself up. You start saying things to yourself that if you were healthy 
mentally and emotionally, you wouldn't be saying to yourself. David Jeremiah said this, there are people all around us who are being slowly crushed, slowly suffocated by the giant of guilt. And yet, God says that we've been set free from that. That we've been set, we've sung songs today about that God takes our sin away and that, that God has forgiven us and he has provided all we need. And at the cross, everything changed. And, and we sing songs about that, but at the same time, there's this nagging, have I confessed it enough? Have I done enough? Have I said enough? Am I sorry enough? I should feel more guilty, or why do I feel so guilty? We just get caught up in this, and, and then when you talk to somebody about, hey, you know what, God forgave you, th this is typically what they'll say, you don't know what I've done. No, but God does. God does. Or they'll say something like this, I've gone too far. You've never gone too far. You cannot get too far from the love of God and from the grace of God. Or you don't understand, or God can't forgive this. Look, we know God is holy, and holiness is his standard, and we don't live up to it. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we need a Christ to save us from our sin, because we are guilty of sin. But God did not intend for his children to live with a coat of grief over their shoulders all of their life. And their heads stooped down. Our conscience is one of the ways God convicts us. Guilt is how the devil works on us to say, you know, I know you've asked God to forgive you 1,473 times, but you had not asked him enough yet. The, the devil always points fingers, and he makes you feel guilty in general. God convicts specifically. The devil works in generalities. And when God convicts, he convicts to bring us to repentance so that we can experience grace and forgiveness, not so that we will continue to walk around with guilt. Dwight Pentecost said, God has written the law in the heart of man so that the law, the conscience, convicts man when he falls short of God's holiness and becomes guilty before God. And we try to cover it up. We try to cover it up with sedatives, with barbiturates, with amphetamines, with alcohol, with drugs, with immorality. You know, I won't feel guilty if I just go find somebody else and go live someplace else and go do something else. One of the ways we deal with guilt is we become workaholics because we're afraid to be alone and we're afraid to be silent. We're afraid to be still, so we just work ourselves to death, all the while dragging this guilt behind us. Sometimes we run in, in, to entertainment, and so, you know, if it's the newest Xbox or whatever's come out or this or whatever app, we, we got to get something new because it distracts us from the pain of a dulled life. And sometimes we'll run from God, and when we're running from God, we run to a church that will not talk to us about what we're feeling guilty about. And will leave us alone. But that doesn't get rid of guilt. Running from the reality of the need to deal with guilt does not deal with guilt. 
it just enhances it. It may go silent for a while, but you let something come up, and it'll pop right back up. We're in two passages of Scripture this morning, 1 John chapter 1 and Psalm 51. 1 John 1 and Psalm 51. And I want to read 1 John chapter 1, beginning with verse 5. These are familiar passages, but they tell us how we need to think and how we need to live and respond in light of the fact that oftentimes we are immersed in guilt. 1 John 1, 5. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from just a few of our sins. What does your Bible say? Does everybody's Bible say all? What does all mean? Does it mean all? I mean everything? That's what it means. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin, all right? If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So let's talk about the danger of hiding our sin. It's hard to be honest, isn't it? It really is. You know, we, we used to have this joke when a bunch of us were in college, you know, uh, I'll lie to my friends and you lie to your friends, let's tell the truth to each other. And sometimes that's what we do. We try to hide, we try to pretend. We're not, you know, we're not suffering, we're not dealing with anything, we're not dealing with issues, and yet it says God is light, and in, in him there is no darkness. You see, light is a sign of purity. Jesus is life and light, so to not be walking in fellowship with Jesus is to walk in darkness. Now, what is darkness a picture of? Well, hell is a place of darkness. There's no light there. There is light because Jesus is light. There's no dark, there's darkness in hell. And by the way, there's a fire, but it is totally dark. People think, oh, I'll be able to see my, it's totally, it's pitch black dark. It's the darkest of darks. And it is a place where people go who do not let God deal with the guilt and shame of their sin. Who will not embrace Christ as the answer for their sin. But in heaven, there's no need for the sun and the moon because Jesus is the light of the city. He's the light of the world. He's the light of the city. So if we walk in the light, we're not walking, dragging guilt around with us. But if we don't walk in the light, we walk with the lie that somehow I've got to pay and I deserve to continue to feel punished for something that God forgave me of years ago. So look at what he says, verse 6, if we say, verse 8, if we say, verse 10, if we say, chapter 2 and verse 4, the one who says, if we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So see, I'm going to feel guilty 
if I'm trying to cover up something, at the same time trying to have fellowship with God, there's this wall between me and God. And I'm walking in darkness, but saying I'm walking in the light, saying I'm in fellowship with him, but there's something that's keeping me from doing that, and the devil is playing every card he's got on you and me at the time. I mean, he's telling us how sorry we are, how inferior we are, how shameful we are, how untrustworthy we are. I mean, he just lays it on thick so that he cripples you spiritually. Now, look, look at this progression because if you don't deal with guilt and if you don't deal with sin and find forgiveness and grace, this is the progression that John mentions. We lie to others, verse 6. So first thing I'm doing, I'm putting on this facade. I'm hiding the fact that there's something that God is dealing with me with, about, and so I'm lying to others. And then I lie to myself. And then I lie to God. I start lying about where I am in my relationship with God, and guess what? I'm totally playing into the hands of my enemy, Satan, who wants to keep me in guilt and in lies and in darkness and not to walk in the light. I am playing into his hands. This kind of life produces guilt because I know somewhere deep down inside, I'm lying to other people about where I really am. I'm lying to myself and I'm really lying to God. Because here's God who's offered all this grace and all this goodness and all this peace and joy and forgiveness and I'm walking around loaded down with guilt. It creates an almost spiritual schizophrenia. And can I tell you something? Life is too short to live a lie. And life is too short to wake up every day and find guilt has been waiting for you to get up. And life is too short to be restless and sleepless that when you go to bed at night, guilt whispers in your ear, I'll be here when you get up. Life's too short for that. And God is too good for you to live with that voice in your head. So let's look at the dangers of uh, failing to confess because guilt is one of the basic emotions of man. Uh, I don't know about you, and I'm just going to admit this. When my kids were younger, I knew how to lay guilt on them. Because my mother had a Ph.D. in guilt. <laughs> I think she had three Ph.D.s in guilt. And I knew how to lay guilt on my kids. And one day I realized guilt's not working anymore. Because I couldn't motivate them by guilt. You see, our natural tendency as guilty people is to motivate by guilt. It's to motivate people. What well, you know, if you love Jesus, I guess you don't love Jesus, do you? Boy, you're pretty sorry. I guess you don't love Jesus. Man, I don't know how you live with yourself. We start playing those games, and we forget that the person we're talking to is probably the person we're seeing in the mirror. It's us we're talking to. Because we've been so driven by guilt, we start acting out of the guilt we've been driven by rather than out of the grace that God has given us. 
Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do? They covered themselves. Why? They were ashamed. Why were they ashamed? They were guilty. David sinned with Bathsheba. He covered up the adultery. He covered up the murder of Bathsheba's husband. And he says it ate away at him. Ravi Zacharias says, Whether it is likened to a ghost that haunts, to a wounded spirit, or to a fractured body, all cultures and religions wrestle with the issue of guilt. How do we deal with guilt? Well, I'm going to give you, uh, Ravi Zacharias has six ways that, that people deal with guilt, and only one of them is the right way. So when we get to number six, you know the right way to deal with guilt. But let's look at the six ways that the average person deals with guilt. And you may find yourself in one of these, or you may have a family member or a friend in one of these, and you can go out of here and you can help them. Number one, expel guilt by irrelevance, irreverence. Expel guilt by irreverence. Implying that the only reason we ever feel guilty is because of this thing called religion. And if there wasn't any religion in the world, we wouldn't feel guilty. Man feels guilty because he is guilty, because he's sinned against a holy God. It's not about religion. It's about the fact that deep inside of us, there's a God-shaped vacuum that cannot be filled by religion or by works or by good deeds. It can only be filled by the grace of God through salvation in Jesus Christ. Secondly, smother guilt by pride. Smother it by pride. Say, well, you know, yeah, I got some things I'm guilty of, but I want to tell you, I can name 10 people that have done worse than me. Hey, all you got to do is work, watch the first three minutes of the evening news. And you can probably find somebody that's worse than you. So you, you smother it by pride, by self-exoneration. Now, now here's how this shows up most often, and King Saul is a great example of this. Yes, I'm guilty, but the people made me do it. I'm guilty, but you always find somebody else to blame. So guilt leads to the blame game. So the way I keep from feeling guilty is I start blaming the people. And you remember the, the bumper that you just saw. You know, you're not your parents. You're not your past. You're not this. It, you're never going to fix it if you're blaming somebody. Because we're all guilty of our own sin that needs to be forgiven and needs the grace of God. C.S. Lewis said, It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. See, pride makes it impossible for me to acknowledge that I am guilty before God, but cleansed by the grace of God. Number three, conceal guilt by fear. Conceal guilt by fear. Now, here's what happens. Guilt then begins to blackmail my heart. Uh, because of my fear of being found out, I, I put up these facades and, and the devil begins to blackmail me and guilt begins to blackmail my heart. And before you know it, I, I'm like Jacob. I'm always running and deceiving and hiding and conniving. So by fear of being caught, number four, dismiss guilt as cultural. Well, the only reason I feel guilty is because we haven't changed our culture enough. 
if our culture would loosen up its moral standards, then I wouldn't be guilty. You'd still be guilty. Right is right, right, no matter if everybody's against it, and wrong is wrong if everybody's for it. There is a moral standard, but we, we can dismiss guilt as a natural response, a cultural response of life, as this forgetting that sin is sin. Here's a big one. We deny guilt by innocence. The illusion of innocence. I'm not really guilty. I don't think I did anything wrong. And we start to justify ourselves. Malcolm Muggeridge says, Depravity of man is the most empirically verifiable fact, but also the most resisted by the human mind. The depravity of man. We're all guilty because we're depraved. We're all guilty because we're fallen. But God didn't leave us in our fallen state. God didn't say, well, see you later. I'm out of here. He did the very best thing he could do. He could send his son to take our sin, our guilt, and our shame on himself so that we could take his grace, his peace, and his forgiveness. That's what God did for us. We're not innocent. We're guilty. But there's a cure to our guilt. There's a solution for our guilt. Number six, this is the good one. Surrender guilt to God's grace. Surrender guilt to God's grace. You can't get enough prescriptions to fix guilt. You can't go on enough vacations to fix guilt. You cannot run away every weekend to fix guilt. You cannot go to enough shows and movies and concerts to fix guilt. What you can do is surrender your guilt to the grace of God. That's what David did in Psalm 51. That's where we are. Psalm 51, and talking about the delight of being set free. Now, I want you to think about the guilt that David had. You, you think your guilt is bad? Everybody in the nation of Israel knew what David was guilty of. He had tried to cover it up. He had tried to pretend. He says that it was so strong in him that it seemed like his bones were aching and falling apart. It was affecting him physically, but he tried to cover up. He tried to look good at all costs. Everybody knew about it. And if they didn't know about it, after David wrote Psalm 51 and it became a part of the Jewish hymn book, everybody knew about it. Now, I want you to think about this. When you were born in 1900 or 2000 and whatever, depending on what century you were born in or millennia you were born in you open your bible to psalm 51 and 3500 years later god let a man who was guilty as an accomplice to murder and guilty of adultery god led a man to write down his sin and his confession in a book that you read because he knew that you would need it and i would need it and what does he call David? 
He doesn't call David a man guilty. He calls David a man after God's own heart. Why? Because David repented. He repented. He came clean. When Nathan said, you're the man, David had several options. First thing, he could have killed Nathan. He was the king. Second thing, he could have played the blame game. Well, you know, if Bathsheba hadn't been out there on that roof, I'd have never done that. He could have claimed executive order. The king is immune from the laws of the land. And the Ten Commandments don't apply to him. That's not what he did. Look at verse 1, Psalm 51. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. In other words, he says, I'm guilty. I know I'm guilty. Verse 4, against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now just stop right there. You say, wait a minute, what about, you know, what about Uriah and what about Bathsheba and what about the nation? David knew that if he didn't get it right with God, it wouldn't be right with anybody else. He had to get it right with God. Against you and you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will be converted to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. So let me give you five things to do to deal with guilt. And they're all here in Psalm 51. Number one, offer repentance, verse 3. No more blame game, no more pointing fingers. Lord, I'm a sinner. I've sinned against you. I'm a sinner. Offer repentance, verse 3. Secondly, seek redemption. Verse 7, for some of you, that might be coming to Christ for salvation, but for others of you, that's getting back into a right relationship with God. Seek redemption. Let God redeem the days that the devil has stolen from you. Number three, embrace grace. 
embrace grace. We are so works-oriented that we think we can work our way out of guilt, and we can't. Embrace the grace of God, that in spite of your sin, He loves you. And because of your sin, He died for you. And because of His grace, He loves you unconditionally. So embrace grace. Fourthly, verse 12, renew worship. Some of you have lost your song. You come to church and you hear songs about redemption and about the blood and about the cross and about God's goodness and God's favor, and you see other people enjoying singing those songs, but there's no joy in your heart and in your life because guilt overwhelms you and you're you're looking at the monitors and looking at those songs and at the same time you're saying, that's true for a lot of people in here, but it's not true for me. That's the devil lying to you. That's the devil lying to you. It's true for you too. So renew your worship. You see, when I understand the grace of God and the forgiveness of God and the goodness of God, I want to worship. I want to worship. But if I walk in and every time there's worship going on, guilt is following me in the door and shouting in both of my ears and rolling around in my mind, the last thing I want to do is worship. In fact, what I'm thinking is, why did I even come today? And the devil's telling you, you ought to quit coming. And the Lord is saying, you ought to keep coming until you can renew your worship and you can restore the joy of your salvation. And then finally, be a witness of God's grace. Verse 15, be a witness of God's grace. He says, I will teach transgressors your ways. Now, listen. This week, you've got a choice. you got a choice to shuffle around carrying guilt or walk with your head held high in grace. And this week you've got a choice. You're going to run into all kind of people, and if you said guilty, their first thought would be, how did you know? And you can be an instrument of grace in their lives to teach transgressors your ways. You know what? We're all transgressors. David was a transgressor, but he said, I want to teach transgressors the ways of God, that God is good and God is merciful and God is kind and God is gracious and God is loving and God goes the second mile and the third mile and he forgives 70 times 70. That's the God we have to share with this world. Not a God who tries to make people feel shame but a God who lets people know that the shame was taken at the cross. And you and I are now clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We're not perfect. Hey, we're not perfect. If you think you're perfect, you're in the wrong room. None of us are perfect. None of us have it all together. All of us deal at some level, at some point, with guilt. The question is, what do we do with it when it comes up? We get on our knees and say, Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation. 
Renew a steadfast spirit in my heart. Renew my worship. And help me to teach transgressors your ways. You know, the best people to talk to people that are filled with guilt is the people that know that they would be filled with guilt if it wasn't for the grace of God. That's the best people. Would you stand with me, heads bowed and eyes closed? If you're here this morning and you do not know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you've never settled a decision with Christ forgiving you of your sin, washing away your transgressions, changing your life, then I want to invite you to just step out right now. Just find one of these men at the front and say, I need to trust Christ today. I need to give my heart to Christ today to save me, to change me. But some, some of you today, you don't need to be saved. You're saved, but you're defeated and you're overwhelmed, and you're discouraged because you've been listening to the devil talking to your ear more than you've been listening to the sweet voice of the Savior saying, I love you, I've forgiven you. Yeah, but Lord, hey, look, we covered that a long time ago. That's why the Bible says he cast our sin into a sea of forgetfulness and he remembers them no more. How dare you go out in your boat with your hook trying to fish up what God cast into a sea of forgetfulness? He says he takes our sin as far as east is from west. East and west never meet. North and south meet. If you go north long enough, you'll eventually start going south. But if you go east, you'll just still be going east. You never hit west, you just still go east. Why did he say it that way? Because he says, when I cast your sin away from you and off of you, it never returns. It keeps going away. He chooses to do that for you, you know. So as they play, I wonder if you need to find a place at this altar, maybe to ask God to roll the guilt off of you or to thank God and praise Him, even though you may not feel like it right now, that He does, in fact, roll the guilt away when we confess it. You come as God leads.